Today in the Journey from Pastor Steve DeWitt. Men, listen to me. The God of heaven is for you. He wants to help you. And he says, ask me for what you need. I want to give it to you. I don't know what better news I have for you than this, that there is a God in heaven filled with wisdom who wants to help you. Welcome to The Journey with Steve DeWitt, Senior Pastor and Bible Teacher at Bethel Church in Northwest Indiana. Jeremiah 29.11 reassures us that God knows the plans He has for us, plans to prosper us and not to harm us, plans to give us hope and a future. But in the face of life's challenges, are we truly confident that God's plans are perfect? Today on The Journey, Pastor Steve DeWitt outlines why we can place our trust in the unchanging wisdom of God. You can listen online at thejourney.fm. Here's Pastor Steve. As we come to the subject of trusting the wisdom of God, the first thing that I want to say, and this is not the main point, it's just a foundational point, is that Christianity requires a man to do what is counterintuitive for a man. We must believe in a crucified Savior and acknowledge that he has done what I cannot do. It is to acknowledge that I need help and to humble myself under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Here's 1 Corinthians 1. For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, and folly to Gentiles. The basic message of Christianity rubs the natural man the wrong way because it forces us to say what we, in our natural, sinful selves, do not want to say. And that is that I can't save myself. Men, the gospel requires us to acknowledge and enthusiastically embrace the fact that spiritually we are in need of help. We can't save ourselves. All the things that I try to do in order to make myself right with God and men can't do it. We need a rescue, and Christ is the rescue. The wisdom of God sent to us so that now there is a way for us to be restored to our relationship with our Creator. Here's the logic of it. If I can trust the wisdom of God in Christ to save me from hell and to give me heaven and eternal life, why can I not trust him for the day-to-day matters that I am dealing with as a man? You see? If I can trust him to keep me out of hell and to give me eternal life, why can't I trust his wisdom in my marriage and in my parenting and in my singleness and in my work? It's not a different faith. It is the same faith that embraces Jesus as Lord. Now in the day-to-day moments of surrender and submission, applying what God's word says to all of the categories of my life. All right, now James. Okay, James 1. How, how do we get this wisdom and how do we trust in it? This is what James is going to help us with. Beginning in verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, 
Let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So, what should we do? Here's the first thing. Ask God for wisdom. That's verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God. Men, listen to me. The God of heaven is for you. He wants to help you. And he says, ask me for what you need. I want to give it to you. And Jesus points this out in the Sermon on the Mount where he says, if, if, actually I'll read it here. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? I don't know what better news I have for you than this, that on this day, this morning, in the midst of whatever trial that you're in, there is a God in heaven filled with wisdom who wants to help you and will do so generously if you ask him. We see the second characteristic, which is also assuring. He does this without finding fault. He's not in heaven when we ask him for help, thinking to himself, What is your problem? Why can't you figure this out on your own? Why are you bothering me? That's not the God in heaven. He wants to help us. He is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. Psalm 145, verse 8. And when we turn to him for help, all he feels is love. That's the God we're worshiping. He's for you. Ask him for help. The second thing that James says here is that when we do so, we must be confident in God's ability to bring us through the trial. And that's what he says in verse 6. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt. There is a condition required for God to help us. And that condition is that we must believe that he, his way is the best way, that his way is the right way. This verse has troubled me for uh, troubled me for a long time because I would then try in my prayers to sort of gin up enough faith so that God then could feel free in order to do what I was asking Him to do. So I would say things like this in prayer: "God, I'm really coming to you. I mean it this time. I mean it. I need your help." And then I'd like wait for His help, which in my mind was one particular thing happening. And then it didn't happen. And so then I would go back to God and be like, okay, God, I obviously didn't mean it enough in the previous prayer. So this time I really, really, really mean it. And then it wouldn't happen. And I would interpret that to mean I don't have enough faith. Because if I had enough faith and God would do what I wanted, right? Wrong. This is not a question of believing and not doubting. It is a question of who I am depending on. And who I am trusting in the asking. The word there for doubt means this. One who is divided in mind and who wavers between two opinions. Am I in my life as I'm dealing with some trial or whatever it is, am I wanting what I want or am I wanting what God wants? And typically for us, I think, we want both. 
And so there's a kind of, you know, well, I'm in a trial, I need to pray. And so we pray, but in our hearts, we're really trusting in our own logic and our own way of thinking of things, and God knows our hearts. And what this is saying is that we, when we ask, we must believe and not doubt. We must not, men especially, lean towards our own way of thinking in it, but have a resolution that this is God's way, and I'm going to do what he says. I'm going to do it his way, no matter what. Now, there's a great illustration of this in Joshua 5. In Joshua 5, here's the situation. Moses has led the people to the edge of the Jordan River. Moses dies. Joshua now is the leader, and he leads them through the Jordan River, and the people realize God has, okay, this is, Joshua's the guy now. They get on the other side of the Jordan River, and they're in a very precarious situation because behind them now is a river. In front of them, literally just a couple miles away, is the city of Jericho which was the greatest military city of its day. So this is like a fortress. Remember, they talked about the walls there. It wasn't just the walls. It was all the men inside who could kill you. There was a, it was an army. It was a fortress. Think of you know, Fort Campbell, whatever you want to think of some great military thing. That's what Jericho was. Everybody knew it. And no doubt, as the, as the Israelites came across the Jordan River, I mean, they're not just in Jericho playing games. These are military guys. There's spies that are watching them. There's all these spies peeking over the edge of cliffs, you know, and what are they doing down there? And they're watching every move. And the guys back in Jericho, you know, they're sharpening their swords. We're going to get those Israelites, man. We're going to take them out. So they're, they're arming up for war in Jericho. Israel now, here they are, the newbies in the land. And what does God say to Joshua but this? He says, Joshua... I want you to take flint knives and circumcise the army. Now imagine with me, you're Joshua, brand new leaders, kind of new at this, you know, and you're wanting to make friends and build camaraderie. And God says, Joshua, I want you to circumcise the army. I sort of see Joshua doing this. What? What? Do it. Now in my mind, I also imagine how that announcement went. Okay, men, gather together here. We got a little, I know that I'm new. It's probably not a time to make major decisions that will impact everyone, but God has said that. I mean, it's, it, it's like the dumbest thing in military history that has ever been done because to circumcise the army a couple miles from the greatest military fortress of its day was essentially to render the army useless. They are completely without any protection now. The dumbest thing ever. Followed only closely in a second, which is to march around a military fortress and blow horns. And I rather imagine after the mass circumcision, that one was no big deal. Uh, but here's what it shows. Is that for Joshua and for the Israelites, they had settled the matter as to whose wisdom they were going to follow. Humanly speaking, it was foolish to do that. But God has said, and you know what? We're going his way. We saw what happened when our forefathers didn't go his way. We're here now, whatever you say, Lord. That's what it means to trust in the wisdom of God. You know, obedience always makes sense to God. It always makes sense to obey 
the Lord. As the song says, trust and obey, for there's no other way that we can be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. And when we trust God, man, here's what happens. Now God is free to come to our aid because we are not going to take the credit for it. And God is about his glory. We sang the song, glory to God, glory to God, glory to God forever, right? That's what God's about. And so for men, we are so, we're so proud. We're so, mm, look at me. God has to humble us so that he can use us as we depend upon his wisdom, which frees him then to do great things to his glory and not to our own. See how that works? Okay, we're in the home stretch here. James finally says, consider the instability that not trusting God produces. He says, that man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. The man there is the man who's wavering between, I should, should I trust God or should I trust men? And, you know, we can't look, God made us so we can't look two ways at the same time. I can't look this way and this way. You can try this afterwards. I, can, I can't. I can only look one way. I got like one nose that looks one way. And similarly for us, our trust is either going to be in ourselves and in our resources and in our ability to do something, or it's going to be in what God can do. Don't waver between those two opinions. And James makes the point that the tragedy of the double-minded man is that in his attempt to succeed in his life, he is actually creating instability throughout his entire character because the double-minded man is unstable in all he does. We want to compartmentalize, right? I've got my religious life, my spiritual life. I've got the things that I believe. But then I have this one area over here. This, is the, this, this area is my area. It's not under the lordship of Christ. I know that it's not under it, but it's just one little area, and it's not so big, and it can't affect all the rest. And what James says is, no, we are whole persons. Weakness in one area oozes into the rest. Compromise in one area creates instability throughout the entire fabric of our character. So that, for example, a man cannot quietly, with nobody knowing, in the darkness of his office or room, look at pornography on the, on the computer or on his smartphone, and it not affect the way that he views and assesses the women in his life. The one instability oozes over and corrupts the rest of his character. Double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Another example of this would be a man who maybe in his, in his workplace or at the gym or some other place has a, has a, a group of guys that he is, feels free to be profane with. And, to, and in that profanity, both in word or joke or whatever it is, to create a kind of pleasure in it. And for that not to impact when he goes home or he's with his family or, or he's with his small group, for that pleasure and humor to not create a kind of corrupted pleasure that impacts all these other areas of his life. The one oozes into the other. The double-minded man is unstable in all his ways, like a house, where if there's cracks in the foundation of the house, 
You may not know it, but all of a sudden you're closing your door and it doesn't close quite right. And you look at the drywall and there's cracks developing in the drywall. And you look at the roof and you're like, that kind of looks like it's, is that square? And what's the problem? The problem's not the roof. The problem's not the drywall. The problem's not the doors. The problem is the foundation. Instability at the foundation creates problems throughout the house. So don't be that person. Try to be a whole man resting in the wisdom of God. So let's say I need wisdom. I go to God and I ask him for it. And in the asking him for it, in my heart, I have resolved that I want to do what God's wisdom dictates in this. And I've sought other means of wisdom. I've talked to godly men and women and I've sought their counsel. I've had people praying for me. I've been searching the word of God to see if there's any direction that that would seem to indicate. When I get to the end of all of that, I still have to make a decision. And how can I know if what I'm thinking about doing is leaning in the direction of God's wisdom? I got five things quickly, and then we're done. Number one, is my leaning in this consistent with what God's word says on the matter? Now, tons of our decisions, God's word, there's no verse for it where you go, oh, I'm supposed to move to Leroy, and I'm supposed to do this. It's not going to say that okay? It's not going to say that. But it is going to give a general way of living, a broad perspective in the kind of life that pleases the Lord. Does this decision or this issue or temptation or trial or the way I'm responding to them, is it consistent with the general perspective, worldview of the Scripture? Secondly, Does this proposition help further God's goal in my life? What is God wanting to do in the life of a man? He is wanting to conform him to the likeness of Christ, Romans 8. Is this proposition that I'm contemplating or or this issue that I'm dealing with, am I finding myself wanting to run away from the opportunity to die to myself and to become more like Christ? Am I fleeing some responsibility in this? Or am I going in a direction that will allow God to form my character and to shape me more into the likeness of his son. Third, does it sound like wisdom from heaven? James 3 tells us what wisdom from heaven will sound and feel like. Here's what what it'll feel like. The wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. If you want to know who to listen to, people are giving, various voices are telling you what to do, listen to the one that sounds like James 3.17. Fourth, is it likely that Satan isn't pleased with it? I have found this to be very helpful. Sometimes it's hard to know what God wants you to do, right? What's God's wisdom in this? Sometimes it's easier to know what Satan would want you to do. So maybe you should say, you know, what is the will of Satan in this matter? And sometimes it's very obvious what he would want you to do. Figure that out and then do the opposite. It's likely to be God's will in the matter. I love that point right there. I can tell by the looks in your faces that perhaps not as much with you, but that is, what was the message on today? How to know the will of Satan, you know? Really, what was his point? Do the opposite. Do the opposite. Fifth and final. Does this lead to God being glorified in my dependence on him? And this brings us back to where we started. For a man, 
I don't want to acknowledge that I need help. I am sufficient in this. I am, I am the king of my kingdom. I am the, I'm the, I'm the, I'm the, I'm the master of my destiny. If the way that I'm living is stoking that, then that is not the wisdom of God. But if the way that I am living is calling me to a greater degree of surrender to the Lord, a greater sacrifice for him, a, a, a greater lessening of my glory and the increasing of his, that is likely to be the wisdom of God because that is what he is doing. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, many of you know this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding, which for a man is a very hard thing. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and then he will make your path straight. Now, we love the thought of the path straight, don't we? But recognize that that is the conclusion of trusting in God, not leaning on myself, acknowledging God in all my areas, not compartmentalizing, not being the double-minded man, but being totally for him as best I can, and none of us do it perfectly. I'm not calling to some like super Christian thing. But to the best that I can, I'm trying to acknowledge you, God, in all areas of my life. I'm not hiding. I'm not reserving. It's all yours. Then he will make our paths straight. Now, straight paths are not easy paths. It's not necessarily the easy way that he's going to lead us in. But the paths are set out for us. And the godly man can rest in the fact that his ways are always good. Always good. And I just want to conclude by saying that every man here has failed miserably to do this consistently, which is one more reason for us to worship and adore the only real man who has ever lived, Jesus, who every moment of his life rested and surrendered to the will of his father, who even in the darkest moments said this, if there's any way for this cup to pass from me, may it be so. Nevertheless, not my will, not my way, not what I prefer. I prefer what you prefer. May your will be done. Now that's a man to worship. That's a man much different than every other man that has ever walked this planet. He indeed is our hero and our king. 1 Peter 2.23, speaking of Christ, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. You're listening to The Journey with Steve DeWitt and the conclusion of a message titled, Trusting the Wisdom of God. It's the last lesson in our decision-making series. And if you missed any of the messages from this study, you can replay them online. Just visit thejourney.fm. Well, life is a journey, and the Word of God is a compass and a lamp unto our feet. And the Word of God is a compass and a lamp unto our feet. When we lean into its wisdom, God lights our path and imparts purpose to each step we take. And that's why each day on The Journey, we share God's Word with listeners around the country through the radio and the web, enabling them to nurture their connection with Jesus Christ, or perhaps accept Him for the very first time. But as a listener-supported program, we couldn't do it without you. The journey relies in part on the financial gift of generous friends like you. Would you consider giving today? 
that will allow us to share the truth of the gospel to listeners all around the world. You can call 844-7-JOURNEY. That's 844-756-8763. Or give online at thejourney.fm. And when you do give, we'll say thanks by sending you Decision Making and the Will of God. It's a book by Gary Friesen. Most Christians have been taught how to find God's will, yet many are still unsure whether they found it. In this book, Friesen examines the prevalent view on God's will today and provides a sound biblical alternative to the traditional teaching of how God guides us. You can request your copy of this practical book by calling 844-7-JOURNEY. That's 844-756-8763 or visit thejourney.fm. And while you're there, be sure to sign up to receive updates from The Journey. Just scroll to the box at the bottom of the page and then enter your name and email. I'm Tim Svoboda. Be sure to come back tomorrow when Pastor Steve begins his new series titled The Upper Room. That's Tuesday on The Journey. Today's program was produced and furnished by Bethel Church in Crown Point, Indiana.